Hello, my name is Bill Smurry, and today I'm with Leslie Yee and my very good friend Lindsay Reynolds and Akira, our guide dog here. Now, Leslie is, and I want to make sure I do this right, <laughs> she's the chairperson for the Canadian Council of the Blind Peterborough Chapter. That's right. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. And Lindsay, you're this, this is a group. Lindsay's a member too, is that? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, the usually way I start off on. Oh, I'm, I forgot to mention I'm with my production manager here, David Helene, who uh, is in charge of everything, and runs this place. So, Leslie, tell us a little bit about yourself, okay? Like, as, where you grew up, that sort of thing, if you don't mind. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, so. Growing up, we moved around a lot with my with my family, so I've grown up in many different places. But if you want to talk a little bit more about the eyesight side of things, I was born with optic nerve damage okay. in my left eye, mm -hmm. um, very myopic, and I had the typical lazy eye astigmatisms and things like that that you're often born with. It's going to get better? Yeah, oh, not really. But <laughs> okay, she'll grow out of it? No, unfortunately, that stayed with me all my life. Okay. But what's really nice is growing up, I didn't know I had any of that stuff. Okay. So to me, I never had uh, an eye issue or any eye problems. I, the only thing that I had trouble doing was playing sports, and I just thought it was because, not because I didn't have depth perception, because I didn't know about that then, but I just thought that uh, I wasn't good at sports. But I could do so okay. many other things. So I never grew up thinking I had any form of... Uh, visual impairment at okay. all. Okay, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and nobody picked up on that. Well, I wore glasses since I was 11 months old, so my parents knew, and they made sure I had my glasses, which gave me enough vision in one eye to be able to drive most of my life. So you, uh, I, I didn't know it, but you only have to have eyesight in one eye to drive, which I always find absolutely I just fascinating and I just scary. Something. Yeah, and I didn't know that. I just, like every other kid at 16, went for a driver's license and got it. And uh, so I was able to drive. I've never had 20-20 vision, even in my good eye though, but enough to drive. And when I turned 48, that's when I became advanced in macular degeneration. Okay. You've probably heard of that. Many people have. Mm -hmm. And that's when I lost the rest of, not the rest of my vision, but a lot of my vision and definitely my central okay. vision. Yeah. So that's kind of a little bit of the history of my vision. But like I said, growing up and I've got a great family, good support. That's nice. That's I'm reasonable. married. I have two children. It's great. Yeah. So that's nice. And you've yeah. got a beautiful guide dog here. Yeah. Kira. Yeah. Kira. Yeah. He's been great. He's been with me for a year now. Absolutely love him. We're never apart. <laughs> that's, well, that's well, that's great. That's yeah. And he met my grand dog this morning, which is nice. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's great. <laughs> Lindsay, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, when you first ran into this, you first noticed issues and that sort of thing. Uh, the first issues really started about 35 years ago. I had a detached retina on my, my right eye, and actually I was working in Montreal at the time, and I went through some surgery and uh, actually turned out well. Then about a couple of years ago, I started getting uh, uh, some more um, symptoms of detached retina on my, my left eye, and uh, ended up losing the vision in my left eye, and then uh, macular degeneration, and then some detached in my right eye. So Leslie was talking about driving. I was driving a little bit uh, because I was still qualified, but then about a year, year or so ago, I've, um, 
I lost, uh, I went below the MTO rating, so I they basically take your license away. So I haven't been driving for, for about a year and a half now. So that's a bit of a, a challenge in, in itself. But uh, so over the last two, two and a half years, it's been a, a number of surgeries, uh, probably about 70 or more trips to Toronto and Western and uh, seeing the doctors up there. So right now I just have about limited vision in my right eye, but I still can, I can still get around as long as I don't drive. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, Lindsay. Thank you. Uh, Leslie, uh, so, Canadian Council of the Blind. Yes. Peterborough chapter. Yes. I, for one, know nothing about it. And that's why I wanted you Fair. to please come in. <laughs> and I don't want to make, I don't want to leave this so open-ended, right? Like, but I, maybe you can help us out here because I don't even know like yeah. what appropriate things to ask you. Like they must, they must have activities. They must have programs and uh, and this sort of thing. So, yeah. could you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So the Canadian Council of the Blind is a national organization. Okay. It's across Canada. It started in 1944. I know it's the ex-soldiers. So yeah, like yeah, with the veterans. Um, it was originally act. Actually, originally the Canadian National Institute of the Blind, CNIB, and the Canadian Council of the Blind were yes. one at the beginning and that's separated. Something, that's something else I don't think people understand. It's two different things. Exactly, okay. yeah. So the Canadian National Institute of the Blind, they really, were, right now, they're all about rehabilitation, independent living skills, teaching you how to use a cane, teaching you how to use devices. The Canadian Council of the Blind, which is what we're part of, we is more about the social uh, aspect side, peer on peer kind of uh, group, as well as some advocacy as well for people with vision loss. So each chapter, like Peterborough chapter, we are self-governed. So even though we are national, we're self-governed ourselves, which means our executive all have vision loss. All of our members have some sort of vision loss. We do have volunteers that come and help us out or help us with drawing. I want to get into that too. Whole yeah, yeah. Oh, so volunteers are, are well, without our volunteers, uh, we, we really wouldn't exist as well because they help us out so much. But because we're self-governed, we, we do the things that our group wants to do. So when it comes to activities or whether they're physical activities or social activities, we do what our group would like to do and organize it ourselves. It's, it's really, a lot of it is about empowerment. When you start to lose your vision or if you tend to lose your vision, have lost your vision later, it is really easy to become a shut-in. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's really hard sometimes to just take that step outside of the house and really hard to join a group, especially if the group is either unaware of, of your vision loss. Because with most of us, like both of us, if you just saw us the way yeah. we are now, nope. you'd have no idea we yeah, have vision no idea. loss. No, no, no idea whatsoever. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's a hidden disability. Um, what gives me away now out on the street is Akira because you see Akira and you know I have a guide dog. That now is what gives me away. But other than that, not that I'm trying to hide it, but uh, we're about embracing it. We're about being part of the community and doing things for ourselves and getting people out of their houses to come and join us in a safe, very proactive environment. 
Um, they can safely ask questions. We've become friends with a lot, all of our members. We've become close friends. And you learn so much from peers about any type of a situation you're in or the way to do something. Do, so. do, do it differently, but... Yeah, so a lot of things that we do, uh, we just do differently. We can do most things for ourselves, aside from maybe driving. Yeah. <laughs> but we... Um, we can still we can still cook for ourselves. We can still take care of ourselves. We can still live independently as well. We do things a little bit differently, but we can still do we them. We can still do it. Yeah. So, in Peterborough, how many members would you have? Well, in our group right now, we have twenty five okay. um, members and volunteers, and we've only been uh, in existence for three years. We in May coming up is actually our third anniversary, mm -hmm. so we're a new chapter of okay. Canadian okay. Council of the Blind. So we're always looking for uh, new members. New volunteers, sort of thing? New volunteers, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Lindsay, you want to add anything to that? Uh, just I've been in a, just a short while with the board, uh, and uh, I've enjoyed the people. We actually we did a road trip to Campford and Hastings uh, a couple weeks ago. That's to a nice drive. Yeah. It was. We had a great, there was about almost 20 of us, and we ended up going, doing some shopping, and then uh, for... Uh, for lunch at uh, in Hastings, and and it was just a one. It was a beautiful day. Yes. And the second we just we just carpooled and went up there, and I just had a great uh, great morning. It was just uh, just a lot of fun. So it's a good group of people that interact very well. Mm -hmm. So, funding. How is this? How is this? We fundraise ourselves. This is going to be good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> how do we do this? Well, we've done some different types of fundraisers. Your typical chocolate fundraisers, and we sell poinsettias at Christmas and things like that. So we're always open to different types of, of fundraising. But I've also uh, we've also been fortunate through Peterborough, the city of Peterborough. They have community grants, and we've been able to apply for a four hundred or five hundred dollar community grant to put towards some of our programs because we do now have a few programs that our chapter is running. Uh, we have the one program called From the Blind for the Blind, which is one that our newest one that we're really working on. We're really excited about it because what we do is we take in gently used visual aids. Okay. It could be magnifiers, it could be uh, a cane someone's not using anymore, it could be a CCTV which is like a closed caption TV screen that magnifies things for you. So there's all kinds of uh, talking watches, it could be anything. We take in those and we redistribute them to people who could use them, perhaps can't afford them, or would just like to try something for a while before purchasing it themselves mm -hmm. through, through the manufacturer. So that is something that we're really trying to uh, spread the word on and, and uh, explore as well. But we also have a Learn to Curl program, and we have a wonderful... Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, it is let's so much fun. It let's is explore It is so that. much fun. Yeah. So How does we, that work? Yes. Yeah, so for curling, we, we use the, the sticks. Have you curled before? I have curled. You have curled, not okay. Very, not very well. <laughs> well, the whole idea is it's fun. And we, with, we curl at the Peterborough Golf and Country Club. Mm -hmm. And we have a wonderful arrangement. They actually give us the space for free, Wednesday mornings. They give us the ice for free. So Peterborough Golf and Country Club. Yes, they do. Very, very generous. Very That's great. generous. That's wonderful. And we also get the volunteers from the club. So they come out and volunteer their own time. And in many cases, we have one-on-one, -on -one, a volunteer for each person. And if not, it's at least one with two people out on the ice. The wonderful, the most, 
fabulous thing about our volunteers is they're not just out there saying, letting us throw a rock, throw a rock. They're actually teaching us the game. Proper, they're proper coaches. And I can't speak enough about that because there's so many programs out there will say, yeah, yeah, come and, come and learn. And basically what they do is they just let you play the game, but they don't really go they through the strategic yeah. planning of a game or why you're doing something or why you're throwing the rock a certain way. But they do. And we just, oh my gosh, it's so much fun. We, we have a great time. How often do you do this? Once a week? or absolutely? It's once a week, Wednesday morning, starting in November. We usually curl to the end of February. Um, it, there are some days that we can't curl because there's a bond spiel or something happening at the club, but uh, but it's very generous of the club to give us their the ice time to do that. Yeah, that's first rate. It is very much so. Yeah, and then we also have another member who has her own radio show called Inside Peterborough on Trent Radio. I read that. Yeah, so she's been doing that. That's once a week. And she talks about all things related to any form of ability. So it's not just for vision loss. It's uh, she'll bring in different people from other organizations to talk to them about their programs. And I'm stuff. reading a Devin Wilkins. Yes, Devin Wilkins. Yeah. 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 And she's wonderful. She also has a guide dog. And Ricky. yes, she's on Friday. She's on Friday mornings, ten to eleven. Yes, that will be changing for the summer to Monday afternoons. I believe at five o'clock. They run a summer program versus the fall. This one was for the fall. I've never listened to it. I'm gonna have to listen to it now. Yeah, yeah. She has uh, different people on every week. One or two people every week. It's an hour long show that she has. That should be an interesting person to talk to. Yeah, yeah, very much so. You've got other programs like Tying My Shoes. What's that? Well, that's with actually another organization called Council for Persons with Disabilities. And I volunteer for them as well. And they what's do... It, what's it, what was it called? Council, Council for Persons with Disabilities. Okay. CPD. Okay. And they have a Time in My Shoes program where through experiential learning, they'll go into schools and businesses and teach people what it's like to live with a different ability. So they'll put you in a wheelchair. You'll wear vision simulator goggles to know what it's like to, to have low vision. You'll wear headphones and you'll experience what it's like in your own workplace or in your school, what it's like to get around with those type of, no, of disabilities. Okay. So I have no idea this even existed, okay? Yeah. I wonder how many more are the people in the they have no idea. They have no idea, and we're working really hard and trying in many different ways to get the word out, you know, through, we have, the, of course, all the social media, Facebook, uh, but you do, you have to find out about these organizations in order to find out what they're doing, and sometimes that's the hard part. The thing with uh, having a disability, until you have a disability, mm -hmm. you don't really know about these other places because you, you, you go looking you no for idea. them. How would you know? Exactly. And why would you? Unless you knew somebody or had a family member that all of a sudden lost their hearing yes. or lost their eyesight, you'd have to go looking for the organizations that can help them. And that's how you find out about us. Uh, but we do participate in a lot of different community events so that we're trying to reach out that way to the rest of the community. Mm -hmm. um, the Senior Showcase coming up. Um, it's in June, June 16th, I believe it is, and it's out at Fleming, the Wellness Senior Center. Senior Showcase. Senior Showcase. They average about a thousand people coming through in one day. Okay. And uh, there's just booths set up, they have a non-for-profit section, and then they have a business section. 
And for example, Council for Persons with Disabilities will be there, Canadian Council of the Blind will be there. When's that held? I believe it's June 16th. June 16th at yeah. Fleming. At Fleming, yes, out at the Wellness Center. They've been holding that. It's put on by the uh, Chamber of Commerce, the Peterborough Chamber of Commerce. So you could get all your information through them about it. We are members, are we not, mm -hmm. Lindsay? You and I. Yeah. 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 Through the program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would uh, that actually f is one one way that we all we try to attend those so that we try to reach out to the general population as well. Let's talk about something else. Though. Yeah. Technology. Mm. Gaps in technology. Uh, okay, so <laughs> there's there's Lindsay. I'm seeing him. He's trying to uh, use his phone, his iPhone, right? and it's, he has some difficulty. I mean, using it. Uh, so, would you care to expand it? Like the, I, that's one of the gaps I see in technology. I don't know. And but then there's Braille. I mean, I know nothing about these subjects. Like really, like. Braille is is. A fascinating language. Let's put it's the English language. It's mm -hmm. just typed out in, in Braille. Mm -hmm. It was actually adopted from uh, well, Louis Braille is is mm -hmm. the person that invented Braille, and he got part of the idea, I think, through uh, Morse code. The yeah. idea yes. of Braille through Morse code. But so, but the only thing with Braille, I've tried learning Braille because, of course, I, I didn't lose the majority of my eyesight till I was forty eight. So I, you know read and did everything that everyone else did growing up but the thing with braille is it's very touch sensitive in your fingertips and as we get older mm -hmm. our fingertips we lose that <laughs> sensitivity. sensitivity and it's really hard like my friend Devin who does Insight Peterborough she's been she was born actually she was born without eyes so she's never had sight never had the opportunity to understand or see, see sight she's a fascinating lady mm -hmm. you would never know she didn't have sight she does everything on her own, and uh, but she's done Braille since she was a child, and in doing so, she's got that touch. And she'll even say it is hard to learn when you're when you're older because you lose that touch. So that's probably the most difficult part about Braille. Learning the language isn't that difficult. It's just that touch, being able to differentiate when you're when you're reading it. I'm always envious of her because we'll be at a meeting, let's say like this, and she'll sit there and be reading her Braille, but continuing to talk. And here she's reading along to herself about something and talking with everyone. I can't do that anymore. Like I can't, you know, look at something and, and read it like she can, you know, with her fingers. It's so like it's things, fascinating. Things like the phone, like texting. I mean, do it by voice. Voice activation. Yeah. So all the devices now have iPads and phones, and even your computer have voice activation when needed. So I've never used voice activation. Yeah. So many people do do that. Okay. They do use the voice, and they do have like on cell phones, they do have a lot of their own built-in um, apps or built-in features for people with vision loss that uh, it, where we like text-to-speech or speech-to-text and, and it'll read things back to you. We just have to activate them on the phone and then learn how to use them. That's probably the, the uh, complicated part is sometimes knowing what's there because, again, Unless you have vision loss, you're not going to go no. looking for it on your phone, and it's really often it's just hard finding. No, you somebody. don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what's there or what it does, and, and, and the or even know that it's there. The technology still has a long way to go it because sure you need text to message or speech, like, 
unless you were very articulate and very slow, it, it could write types, many different things for yeah. you. So yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's still a lot of things, but there. For example, they've now come out. One of the biggest things is GPS. Mm -hmm. Yes. So new forms of GPS, and they are coming out with some new technology and experimenting with them. And one of these really neat things that are just starting to hit the market now is uh, mobility canes that have a built-in GPS on it where it detects, <clears throat> it's like an eye, kind of like the cars where they right. see what's ahead, and it beeps or reverberates back to you and vibrates the cane. So if you were walking up to the table, it would tell you that there's something there ahead of you and it vibrates so that you can actually navigate around things without running into them. So that was one of the big things. Even though you have a cane in front of you, you still kind of bump things. Yes, so now before, yeah, now before bumping into it, it reverberates into the cane. So there is new technology all the time being developed and getting out there. I think the biggest barrier is always price. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who can't. Expensive technology. Yeah, yeah, technology is always expensive. New and technology, are, yeah. There are some programs and there's like ADP, Assistive Devices Program, which is put on by, by um, Ontario. But it's a very, honestly, it's quite archaic. So the items that they have now mm -hmm. on that program are quite old that you can get. None of the newer technology and the most up-to-date stuff isn't even on the program. Okay. So that's the expensive stuff, and that is the that's stuff where before, you know, you'd have to have three or four different devices to do one thing. Mm -hmm or a variety of things. Now, a lot of times you can get one device that can do it, but can you afford that device? Can you afford it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's, uh, they still have, they have a long way to go to kind of fix that problem, but I understand it's in the works, just time. <laughs> oh, I admire your optimism. Optimism, you have to have that, yeah. You have yes, to you do. That. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Uh, can, I, can I ask a quick question yes, No, please, do. Um, so I was just curious about so so you didn't you weren't born with with uh, you, you've had eyesight for for a long time, um, but when when exactly did you like in your development was it as an adult that you sort of uh, became more blind or is it, is it was it always you know what what stage of your life were you at when yeah so I was born with the optic nerve damage in my left side so I've only had sight in one eye most of my life but it was with glasses it was enough sight to be able to drive and then in my 30s I was diagnosed with macular degeneration early stages so it didn't affect my eyesight and I was one of the typical oh macular degeneration oh that's for old people that's old people disease. yeah exactly. it's not gonna affect me for a long time now it did take 15 or so years, but when I was 48 and I drove to my optometrist's okay. office okay. thinking, oh, I gotta get my glasses changed. I'm starting to scare myself driving. And, and I knew I was scaring myself. And I figured if I'm scaring myself, I must else. be scaring those somebody, around me. Somebody right? else, yeah. Yeah, so I drove to my optometrist's office and he sat me down and he checks my eyes and I said, so you're gonna be able to fix my prescription? He says, Leslie, I'm sorry. You are now legally blind. Not only did I drop below the MTO standards, I became legally blind, which is another big jump. Okay. So I he, and he said to me, did you drive here? And I said, yes. He said, I'm sorry, I can't let you drive away. Park the car. And I lost my license just instantly. Wow. So that was, I cried. <laughs> I just sat there and cried. 
But it, it, I was relieved though at the same time because there was a reason for me scaring myself when I was driving. And there was, a, you know, and, and, I, and then I also didn't feel guilty going to the doctors and questioning why, why I was having trouble driving. It sounds funny, but I was a little bit relieved very sad though, of course, because I lost that independence. Yes. That's one of the Your independence things. is gone. It's gone. It's gone. I lived in the country. I didn't live in Peterborough, but I worked in Peterborough and I didn't want to lose my job as well. I wanted to keep my job. So I had a lot of stuff to work through at that time, which I did. And I stayed in my job for still quite a few years more before I finally had to give that up. But it was, yeah, it was a shock. I, I wasn't expecting that. I thought I had more time. Just get my glasses fixed. Yes, just get my glasses fixed. So yeah, I was 48 when I lost the majority of, I became advanced with macular degeneration and lost all the central vision. And the central vision is what helps you see faces, drive a car, read, write, all that detailed work. That's your central vision. Macular degeneration does not take away your, your peripheral vision. So it's like seeing big picture. So I can see around me. I don't have tunnel vision. I don't see black. I can see around me. That's interesting, okay. Yeah, and I can still see color, which is unusual. Okay. The doctors can't figure out why I still see color. I shouldn't, according to all my tests and scans. All the cones and the rods that yes. allow me to see color are dead, but I still see you color. You still see color, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it as long as I have it. Because color helps differentiate things. It mm -hmm. separates things. So if it, if I didn't have that, things would be a lot more blurred together than they are. The color separates for me. When Leslie mentioned the, on, on your vision, so you can be under the MTO qualifications uh, that restricts your driving, or really uh, you can't drive, but from that range to legally blind, is a substantial change. Yeah. So you get caught up for those like myself who's not considered legally blind, but I can't. I'm. I'm. I'm I can't drive. So it's, as far as my vision, but in that gap, there's you almost get lost as far as some of the the benefits that may be available through government assistance mm -hmm. or um, some CCRA protections or whatever. Um, so they just look at that gap, and mm -hmm. you're really sort of lost. Uh, unless you're totally legally blind. Okay. So there is some differences in there where some of the benefits that uh, some people qualify for, others don't. And it's just basically on the margin of, uh, of vision range. Yeah, so you that's a really good point because you can lose your driver's license and not work, not, not be able to work. Be able to, let's say, yeah, let's say you not be able to get to work, but you don't qualify for any form of government assistance because you're not yet legally blind. blind. Yeah. They have to set a standard somewhere, and they've set it at 2200. So you have to be 2200 in both eyes corrected to be legally blind. Mm -hmm. And the MTO standard is 2050 corrected. Once you're below that, then you lose your license. So between 2050 and 2200, yes. you're, you're low vision, but you're not legally but blind. You're not legally blind. And there's a lot of things that. Finan and particularly financially. financially that you can't qualify for. It's really tough. It's a tough... I, In one sense, I was very fortunate because <laughs> I jumped from being over... Like, I, I probably averaged 20, 40 most of my life in one eye. That's why I could drive. And I jumped straight down to 2,200. 
So I missed that gap and I didn't know at the time about the gap. I didn't know that uh, there was, in the, if you're in that gap, there's really very little financial system, if, if any and for you. You don't know it until your point earlier, until you go looking for it. Until you go looking for it. And then you find out that that's... You're not qualified. Yes, you're not qualified. Yeah, you're, you're disqualified. You're, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a, there's a, you learn a lot of um, the ins and outs when when you start to develop different disabilities. Not, not just vision, any disabilities. No, any, exactly. and I'm sure this carries on to other, yeah. Absolutely, so mm -hmm. unless you don't know people, I met Leslie through a, a disability tax advisor. You know, this is, so he understood what was going on and I, I met the, became involved with CCB. But if, unless I talked to him, I wouldn't have known. That's right. Yeah. So I had, I had one other question, which is Please. just like, yeah. in terms of like the technology that, that you know, you've sort of seen, um, I mean, you've been involved obviously with, with uh, you've, you've probably seen some technologically develop, technological developments. Um, but, but like, I think that there's a lot of people now who, instead of making the phone call, they, they send a text message. Yes. And, and instead of, you know, now, now instead of maybe getting, um, uh, instead of maybe going out, you, you sort of sit in and maybe read content and, and this kind of thing. And so, so uh, I guess the question that I had was, was this technology, what, what has like significantly changed about this um, in terms of accessibility and, and support in, in terms of technology for this over the past 20 years or, or whatever? Right? Yeah, well, in, in 20 years, that's kind of like a magic number right now because so much has happened in the last 20 years with technology and it has made things more accessible, definitely. Like 20 years ago, you had to pick up a phone and press the buttons, yes. right? If you can't see the buttons, you know, what do you do? So they came out with a large phone. Yes, I remember. Yes, and really, you know, big kind of square. And that was about it. Yeah. But now with with cell phones and, and the accessibility features on cell phones, it, and, and as well as the accessible features on um, the internet or using email and that sort mm -hmm. of thing, it has made things more accessible. Which, which makes it easier to find things in one sense. If you can get on and you can Google it or, you know, start whether you're typing in or voicing in something for, to help have Google help find you, as long as you're there and you're listed or the organization is listed, you, it, it is easier to find things. Especially for people that are struggling with getting out of their house or struggling, they are, have become a shut-in. They're not meeting people, you know, they're not getting out there and talking to people to find out about things. It's still, I feel, the best way to find out about something because if Lindsay came to me and says, oh, I joined this group, they're great, I would trust Lindsay over a review on the internet yes. myself, yes. right? Because I know Lindsay and I would trust him. So we really encourage people to try to get out, you know, if you do find out about something, to get out because talking with other peers really does it just motivates you to to try new things or to come out a little bit more and to get out of your I, I can't speak about that enough because I have seen so many people um, they go into hibernation yeah they're just uh, they're just afraid they're they're afraid of of they don't know what to do they're afraid of if you just lost your vision your life changes you, yes. you've got to learn to do things differently but they're also worried about perceptions, how other people are seeing. So before I got my cane, I think I joked with you, before I got my cane, 
be well long before Akira, I had a mobility cane. Okay. And the reason I got my mobility cane was I was starting to stumble and you know, hit simple things on the ground that I shouldn't be hitting and stuff like that. And I'm saying, oh my God, everyone around me must think I'm drunk, you know, because I'm stumbling. Nobody can tell him. Nobody can tell. Yeah. So I got my cane and that kind of at least gave me the security to say, okay, I've got a cane. It helps me get around. But at the same time, people now have something. That, yeah. That they know that this cane means I have low vision. I'm not drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I just have low vision. So... Uh, Getting out and talking to people and sharing those stories helps alleviate those misconceptions or myths that you know people are gonna um, people are gonna think I'm a victim and people I'm I'm more prone to getting robbed or we do hear that a lot you know and and unfortunately that might be true at some point but you can't be afraid of that you you can't stop you living your life. because of stuff like that but there's ways that yeah. we can learn to to. The, the change is, uh, and Leslie hit the point, it's, um, there's a tendency for depression to slip in. Yep. So when that, when that crack opens, you don't want to go anywhere. And I went through it. It was a friend of mine who identified it. Like, I didn't want to get off the couch. We'd be leaving the house, and I'd just tell my wife, stop, I'm getting out of the car, go back in the house. I just, we couldn't manage it. But uh, I've been able to get through that, but... Through our trip to Campbellford a couple weeks ago, and seeing how interactive and how mobile people that are completely sightless, okay. you know, with their dogs, with their cane, with their volunteers, and what they were doing was the biggest motivator for me to say, uh, you know, they're, they're worse off than I am. Exactly, and look at what they're doing. You know, it's not what they can't can't do; it's what they can do. Exactly. Oh, that's so good. It was, You're right. Those, those people were just were such motivators for me, and I was just looking at them, going like, and I'm feeling sorry for myself. Look at the people, and I saw that to Leslie going, get out, uh, meet the people, talk to the people, because you know what? They all have stories to tell. They yeah. all have stories. Yeah. This is a really informative session. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning piles of things here. Oh, okay, good. I want to switch the subject slightly. Yeah. Let's talk about Akira. Yeah. How, where, how did you come by Akira? Uh, Akira's training, uh, like everything about like a guide dog. I mean, there's a subject. I see people with guide dogs occasionally. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. uh, the training, the financial, everything. Okay. So uh, looking yeah. for a guide dog school is a lot like looking for a university. You're allowed to go to the States or Canada. You can do your own research on the schools and find out what school you would like to be a part of because each school offers a little bit different type of training of their guide dogs, okay. sometimes different types of guide dogs. How many, okay, so sorry for interrupting. How many schools were you looking at? Oh my gosh. I think I looked at about five different schools. Okay. One cool. in the States and so maybe four, three in Canada. Okay. And they're all good. And, and there's nothing bad about any so of what, So who says, okay, let, Leslie, it's time for you to get the guide dog. Who says that? Oh, I made that choice myself. You made the decision. Yeah. Okay. All right. I knew I qualified for one. Okay. So you do have to qualify, which means, again, being <laughs> legally blind. <laughs> there's one little cat. Uh, they are, so, so once you've researched what school you might like to go to, then you apply to that school. Mm -hmm. That school still has to approve me. Mm -hmm. 
So they come to my house, they do a home visit. I've got a plethora of paperwork, my doctors, my optometrist. You have to pass. Every, exactly, I have to pass. They have to know that I can work with a guide dog. Yes. They have to know that I'm out a lot. So if you're shut in, and you're not going to be able to walk your dog. You might not pass to get a dog because that dog that makes has sense. to stay healthy too. That makes sense. Yeah. And there's a lot of money invested into these dogs to get them to the level of training that they have. So they want to know that they're being worked. Not only that, these dogs love to work because it's getting out, they're doing things, there's, they're getting rewarded. Yeah, they're getting very social. Love. He's very. He, he just special. met my grand dog. Oh, here comes my grand dog now. <laughs> <laughs> he heard you say dogs. <laughs> so the, once you pass all that, then there is approximately a one-year wait uh, for your dog. So the school I went to is called Guide Dogs for the Blind. Their main area is out of um, California, and I went to their Oregon campus. So I chose a school out of the states, okay. and it was only because I fell in love with the school and I loved their training practices. They raise a breed and raise their own guide dogs. Okay. Most of them are labs, retrievers, or mixes of the two. And the, so how it works is when they're eight weeks old, they go out to a puppy raiser family. And Akira's puppy raiser family was in Montana. So they're taken to that family. They raise them for 12 months. And in that 12 months, they take them everywhere. So you've seen the little puppies with the little vest on saying guide dog mm -hmm. in training. So they're allowed to go to most places, not everywhere, but most places. And they teach them the social side of being a guide dog. They get them used to people and sounds and trains and planes and they can go everywhere with them and uh, uh, into schools and that sort of stuff. If they pass that, when they're 14 months old, then they come back to the school and they start their harness training. Mm -hmm. And that takes anywhere from four to six months, depending on the dog, okay. to do everything that they need to do in harness. And I find it fascinating, because I have no idea how they train them, really. Like, you don't really see that. But they teach them certain things. They, these dogs have to make choices for us. Yes. yes. How do you train a dog to make a choice for you? The right choice. The right choice. Because we're completely trusting them. So as they're walking down the street, they something comes up and there's a Y in the road. Mm -hmm. And maybe it joins up on the other side. But they make the choice to go left or right based on what is what they feel will be the safest route for me. So I find it fascinating that they can teach them how to make these good choices for us. As still as obeying our commands and uh, us telling them where to go and where we need to be. They know quite a few English words, of course, in of course. command. Animals are very good at communicating, I find, anyway. They are, they are. And, and he's, like, feed me. <laughs> yes, yes. He lets me know when he needs stuff, yes. and I can tell now how it is, you know, each thing it is, what he's trying to tell me. And uh, they're just, well, as you can see here, once he's in, they're in harness, it's like having two jobs for these dogs. When they're out of harness, at home, You're he's off duty. off duty. He is a puppy. He'll play. He'll steal my slippers. Like he, he does all the things that you know he probably shouldn't do, but a puppy would. And then once the harness goes on, he becomes serious, and he knows he's working. So, be, because you're legally by, blind, then the the funding is taken care of by. Yes. So okay. he comes to me at no cost. Okay. My only my only cost is the food. And this would be an expensive project to train. It costs anywhere, well, to sponsor a dog is 25000 but that's still not the full cost. 
So companies that wish to, or people that wish to sponsor a dog, they, they have it at the $25,000 mark, but it's, it's now anywhere, you'll hear anywhere from 40,000 or so to actually have a dog ready to have go you, out. Let's see, have you ever been refused admittance to something? To a store or in, or with, with, with um, not refuse. I've been very fortunate. Peterborough is first of all a wonderful community, okay. and people are very knowledgeable in Peterborough about guide dogs and and they've seen enough around, I believe, and they're and they ask questions, which is great. I love it when people ask me questions because then I can let them know. You know, sometimes they'll ask me questions about you know, can I touch your dog? And I'll say, no, I'm sorry, he's working. But at least they asked. I'm okay with that. Most of us are, to be honest with you. We don't mind those questions. But no, the only thing I've had is I've walked into some restaurants outside of Peterborough. Okay. And they've said, um, I'm sorry, we don't allow pets in our restaurant. He's not a pet. And I'll say, oh, that's okay. He's not a pet. He's a service dog. And I always keep my ID usually in my pocket if I'm going into a place like that. And I pull out my ID and I show it to him. And our ID is, um, it looks like a little driver's license. It's from the Governor General of Canada. Okay. And has our picture on it and our registration numbers. So that's our ID. And that tells them, that is proper ID, that tells them that he has been properly trained in a school and will behave himself. And if he doesn't behave himself, it's my responsibility to take him out. And we're taught that at school. Like, they're trained to behave, and if they don't, we leave. And that's only proper for everybody else, right? You know. It's like kids that act up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's, exactly. that's exactly what I was thinking. Exactly. <laughs> exactly what I was thinking. And, and I'll say this too, because a lot of businesses don't know this, but the, um, they do have the right to ask if it's a properly trained dog. And I wish more businesses would because there are a lot of fake service dogs out there. Oh, interesting point. I never yeah. even thought of that. And you can go online for $100 and buy a vest and a fake ID for your own pet and expect to take your pet everywhere. And those pets have not been trained. So these dogs are trained to never bother another dog, to never bother or, go, or be upset with children or a loud noise or to bark. You haven't heard him bark yet. No, I have never heard him bark. He, um, they're trained to lie down at my feet when we're Excuse sitting me. somewhere Excuse and they stay Hear there. that flap? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're somewhere and somebody has a service dog and they're misbehaving, they're going after food under the table, they're trying to reach the table next door at a restaurant, they're bothering the people. It's not likely a service dog. It's not likely a properly trained service dog. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes our dogs have bad days. Yeah, and, I, I have bad days. Yeah, and if they have a bad day, then I will remove myself from that situation and him. Because it's not fair for him. If he's not feeling well, I'm probably not going to go out. Okay. So I would like to know, think that I'm a responsible handler and will take care, that's taking care of your own dog. But if it is a fake service dog, the owner of the place that you're at, restaurant or business, can go up and say, I'd oh, like to see your ID. Yeah, can I see your ID for your service dog? You can be very nice about it. And if they don't have ID, proper ID, then, you know, just saying, well, he's my service dog, they sh it, it really isn't sufficient. And they can be asked to leave. And if any dog, even my service dog, is misbehaving, I, they can ask me to leave. And, and that, that's only fair. I think that's only fair. But... It, a lot of people don't know. Well, there are a lot of people don't know they can ask the question because they're afraid to insult us, right? They're they're True. afraid to you know they they don't want to upset the cart. But 
there are so many fake service dogs out there now that uh, I really wish people would ask a little I bit more. I have no more. idea. Yeah. Never even, just assume. That is a that's, whole a, other topic. There's a dog. Talk about. <laughs> it's a service dog. That's the end of that story. Yeah. Right? But it's not. Okay. Yeah. Well, according to the um, AODA, the um, Accessibility of Ontario Disability Act, mm -hmm. there's a whole feature on there about how to get a, a proper a service dog or what qualifies a person to get a service dog, I guess, is more. So now they, they have it that a doctor's note, that your doctor could give you a note that mm -hmm. says you qualify for a service dog. Okay. But what the note doesn't say is you qualify for a properly trained service dog. So people have taken the other way. Oh, my doctor gave me a note. That's all the proof I need. I can make my dog a service dog. Take the shortcut. And they took the shortcut. And there's no law right now that says they can't do that. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So it's really unfortunate because for for the, you know, when you're investing forty thousand to get a dog properly trained, and there's been a lot of fight about them, you know, people refusing an actual service dog, thinking that they're going to misbehave because two days ago a dog was in and really did misbehave, but that dog wasn't a properly trained wasn't service probably, dog. But everybody just My dog is. Everybody assumes, yeah. I don't yeah, know. exactly. I don't. When you're getting the dog, do you, do you like spend time with with them before before you get them, or yeah, do you so get assigned, or do you get to choose? Or? We don't choose our dog; they actually match the dog up to us. That's interesting. So after talking to us and knowing what type of a dog we need, or what we want to do with our own daily lives, like how much, how many times I'm out and where I need to go, and if I lived in Toronto, I'd have to make sure I had a dog that was good on subways, for example, and things like in Peterborough, I didn't have to make sure Akira was good on subways, even though he's been on them. I'm not on them at all, so that wasn't a key thing for me. Um, so they match us up, and then we go to the school, and it, at our school, we're two weeks at the school. So okay. I went to Oregon for two weeks, totally immersed right away with Akira, and we started our training right away. Okay. So it's it's intense. Oh my gosh, it's intense training. So we're not just training. Really good. Not just training the dog, we're training. No, we're training me at that point. He's okay. completely trained. So now they're training me how to be a handler and uh, getting the two of us working together and actually for the first week we're not allowed to tell family or friends we're not allowed to email in or okay. tell them at all anything about our dog because it's possible that we don't match the dog doesn't want to listen to us or I just don't get along with the dog whatever uh, it, we might and they will switch us they'll they'll bring another dog in for us and give us a chance to try that so, okay. yeah so they always tell us the first week Very don't say anything just in case and how, how old are the dogs when you actually get them? Anywhere, uh, usually the youngest is about 18 months, so anywhere from 18 to 22 months. And Akira's how old now? He's now two and a half. Two and a half he was actually 18 months when I got okay. him. He was an early graduate, but he did really well. Okay. Yeah, so he was very much a puppy when we came home. <laughs> he's still a puppy for most of them. He's still a puppy, yeah. But he's, even in one year, it's amazing how much calmer he is. Um, now that we're here and we're settled and we've worked together for so, a year. He knows, yeah, he's a routine now. Yes, he's yeah, got he's a, a routine. routine. Mm -hmm. And you, you can expect to, to keep Akira indefinitely, like, like just... No, he would need to be retired. My Every school's a little different, but my school, they retire them by ten, his age of 10. Okay. So I'll have him for roughly eight years. And there's a choice. So at if I wanted to get another guide dog, mm -hmm. 
it's not wise to keep a cure and have a new guide dog. It's hard on a cure because he'll want to keep. He'll want to keep on doing his yeah, thing. Yeah, and in leaving him at home and going out with another dog wouldn't be fair. So if I wanted to get another guide dog, then I can give him to a family member or a close friend who I trust would take care of him. Or if there's nobody that I know that could take care of him, there's a list of families through the school that will take uh, take in retired pets. And if I do not want to get another guide dog, let's say I'm just going to go back to using my cane, then I can keep him myself for his retirement as a pet. As a pet? Yes. Uh, and they pet. actually will take away the harness. Okay. Mm. Yeah. The harness always belongs to the school. So they'll take away the harness to ensure that I'm not going to work him. And the reason is they want their last four or five years to be a good, healthy retirement and let them enjoy it. You know, they've been working hard they for 10 years, so give them a good, healthy retirement. And I'm fine with that. I can't yeah. imagine the day I have to give them up, but I'm fine with it. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's going to be, yeah. Yeah, it'll be tough. I'm not even going to think about it. <laughs> no, no, it's a ways off. Let's just let's skip yeah, that for now. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so, so the dog is capable of replacing all the functionality of the cane, though? So, so Absolutely. Even more so even more so. He does more than what a cane does. So um, a cane can tell me what's right in front of me. Yes. He tells me what's up ahead and avoids what's coming at me, which is what I needed because that's what I don't have is, is distance. So uh, we'll come up to a corner. He tells me that whether the curb is going up or going down, a set of stairs, whether it's up or it's down. I, I still have to know where I'm going. Like, he's not a GPS. Yes. I can't say, Akira, let's go to the bank, and off we go. It doesn't quite work that way. I have to know, I have to go down this street, turn right, go down that street, turn left at the corner. So he'll take me from A to B, so along the street to the next corner. At that corner, I need to tell him left or right or forward. And then we go, and then I have to know when it's safe to cross the street, when I think it's safe, but then it, Akira will do, my, my school called it, calls it disobedient obedience. So if I tell him to go forward across the street because I think it's safe to go, okay. and all of a sudden something comes up that's going to, you know, a car comes around the corner or something like that, he'll stop. He'll disobey my command. He'll stop me, either push me back or pull me fast forward if the car or whatever's coming behind us to get me out of the way. So if he stops me and makes me wait, that car goes by then I'll give him a second command hop up is the command with a question mark and that tells him go if it's safe so he can make the choice to go if it's safe so when you say he tells you like, like is that in terms of like the, the angle of his his uh, uh, the device the uh, of him yeah so he the guide dogs are always on our left side I've okay. not actually seen one on the right it can they can be made to travel on your right if it is something you need. Otherwise, they're trained on the left. So he curls or angles himself in front of my left leg, and that oh. stops me. As soon as my leg hits him, that stops me. So I know something's there. It could be a, a big, I know, it could be a table. He comes up to the table, let's say he can't get around. He'll stop and he'll kind of angle and point at the table, so I'll reach out and say, oh, there's a table. Let's find our way around, and we'll start finding our way around things. But yeah, he, if he just curls in front and stops me right away, then we know not to move. And it's like at a curb, we know not to step off the curb until he moves first. Because if he moves first, then it's safe. If I move ahead of him, it kind of defeats the purpose of yes, him stopping yeah. me, right? 
So when, when you say you're, you're going to the curb uh, and, and he stops, like, is he able to, to read the, the sort of like the hand or the little guy walking or is it just... No, he stops at every corner regardless right. and waits for me to tell him if it's safe to go. So if you can't see the sign, you've got to listen to the traffic. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so there's still a risk here in the sense that like if, if it is like a, like a red light or something and you can't tell the difference... And, and okay, I don't, I don't hear any traffic. I think it's safe to go, so yeah. I'll say Akira forward. And if it's safe, and even if it looks like I'm jaywalking, but there's no cars around, it's still safe, he'll go. Okay. okay. Yeah, he doesn't follow the, the light. He, they don't know that. They don't know. No, they don't know that. So, um, but hopefully, you know, we're, we're moving with the traffic and we're able to go with traffic. Is, is there more... Uh, sounds at the crosswalks now, more beeps, uh, and, and Peter, I, that's not something I really noticed, but I was, I didn't know if they were, that was a growing more. It is, yeah, so at the, now when they put in a new intersection, they are putting yes, in the audible. Um, that has to be a lot of help, just. It tells you when yeah. it's safe to go, you can totally relax, yes. Um, so it'll either, the beeping sound you hear when you approach mm -hmm. the corner, isn't the beeping sound that says to go or to not go? It's just telling you that there's an oh, audible time. button yeah. here. No, there's oh. an audible button here. Oh. So you find the button, you press it, and you have to hold it down for three seconds. Okay. And then it'll start talking to you. It'll say, wait. You wait to cross George Street. Wait, wait. And then when it's safe to go, it's, it changes. It goes beep, 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 beep. And so it's safe to cross George Street. Okay. And then it does the countdown. A lot of them have that now. And if they don't have the talking, it changes the beeping. Okay. Yeah. So there, there's both. Yeah. They're great. I wish every intersection had them. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, yeah. They just put a new one in down on George Street across from No Frills. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. So, okay. yeah, yeah. so that, that's a new intersection, mm -hmm. and they put great curb cuts in, in the sidewalk, and they've got the audible sounds, and... So they've done that corner like one of the newer, you know, newer looking corners. It's good. Go on. My flav. So uh, it's getting his two cents in. Yeah. No <laughs> Leslie, uh, we covered a lot of material here. We have. <laughs> thank you for coming out. Uh, and you, Lindsay. Thank you for coming out. Yes, thank you. Uh, so I think I'd like to wrap this up for now, if mm -hmm. that's okay. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I know you have another appointment to go to, but that's the other thing. Oh, that's quite all right, okay. yeah. But I'd like to invite you back again, both of you. Dave, thanks for your... Yeah. Without you, nothing would happen. <laughs> so I'm Bill Smurray, and uh, I'd like to thank Lindsay Reynolds and Leslie Yee for coming up. That's how I'm pronouncing it right in my neuron. You okay. are, that's right. Thank and you. Leslie, as I said before, is the chairperson for the Canadian Council of the Blind Peter Road Chapter. I found this session very informative. Well, thank you I've for learned, having well, us. Well, I've learned a lot of guide dogs and phony guide dogs and, <laughs> and just living with a handy, you know, vision impairment. Yeah, visual impairment or, yeah. So, Leslie, the both of you, if you'd like to come back again sometime, and you're both more than welcome. So thank, thank you. you. And I see Lindsay all the time. So anyway, uh, thanks for watching, uh, listening, and uh, I'm Bill Smurray again, and goodbye for now. <laughs>